Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, March 29th, and we're pinning another company to our 2019 IPO board. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I've got Fool.com's Brian Froldi on Skype. Brian, what'd you think of that little intro pun there? That was wonderful. That That is 100% a reason to listen to this show for those wonderful puns. <laughs> I do what I can. Uh, listeners, we're going to be talking about Pinterest today, uh, one of many tech companies that are going to, be, it's going to be going public in 2019. Kind of an interesting one, because this one has been around for quite some time. The business model is a little bit more mature, and I think a lot of people are probably pretty familiar with this name. Yeah, this is a company that I have personally had on my radar for several years now because my wife has been an avid Pinterest user and I have personally used Pinterest to find gift ideas for her. So I know that there is a lot of power in the engine and I've been very interested in digging into the numbers behind this company. For the uninitiated, I think Pinterest could maybe best be described as a combination of a like Facebook, Instagram, and Etsy type, you know, if you look for the Venn diagram between all of those social media platforms, that's kind of where you find Pinterest. It's a lot of makers, DIYers, people that are looking for some inspiration through a visual medium. Yeah, it's kind of They they actually say that they're kind of like a visual search engine. People come there looking for ideas that they can't necessarily put into words, but they know it when they see it. So when you see a picture of something, it could spark it could spark inspiration. And a lot of their pinners go there for to generate ideas. Yeah. So a lot of the stuff that you see on this platform is people doing DIY projects, whether it's home decor, uh, possibly doing wedding planning, maybe planning for uh, some renovations to the house, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and this is a huge platform. So Pinterest has 250 million active pinners, which they call users. And to give you some context behind that, about 82 million of those are in the US and about 184 of them are international. So this is actually a far more international company than I assumed from the get-go. We see a slightly different number with their user metrics too. We're very used to the monthly active and daily active when it comes to social media companies. We get a weekly active number from Pinterest. Yeah, uh, which sort of makes sense because if you're going there for inspiration, perhaps you don't need to go there every day to message friends or keep in contact. So I do think that that makes uh, some sense, but it is an interesting uh, note. Some other big metrics, just to give you a sense of how uh, activity looks on this platform, about 2 billion monthly searches on the site, 4 plus billion boards, which is where people aggregate ideas and clips from all these different things that they are seeing on the platform. Uh, And this is a platform that heavily slants female. Yes, about two-thirds of users are female, which I would actually assume that would be an even higher slant female. But I, I did see that there, the number of males using uh, Pinterest has been growing like crazy over the last couple of years. It's actually their fastest-growing segment. And uh, some more, some more uh, metrics to put around that. About 80% of moms are on Pinterest, and about half of millennial, millennials use the, use the site. And those are U.S. metrics, right? I think 80% of mothers in the United States, 50% of millennials in the United States. Uh, that's correct. And one other thing that I that I uh, when I was reading through really jumped out to me is that 91% of Pinterest users say that the site is filled with positivity. Now, when I compare that to say Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat, that's something that I think separates this company. It is a little different. Yeah, I think you don't run into quite the same toxic elements that you might find on some other social media platforms when you're on Pinterest. 
Yeah, that's definitely something that I think is is very powerful about uh, about this platforms. And another another number that also uh, jumped out to me was that 85% of users uh, say that they go to Pinterest to start a to start a new project. So that's a huge number of people that go to the site and then take some sort of action in their life. So that could be a very valuable uh, aspect to this platform. Especially because they are looking to monetize via ads. That's where most of their money's coming right now, uh, and that seems to be the path for them long term. The pitch to advertisers is: you have people coming onto this platform looking for ideas, whether it's because they are planning an event, uh, they're looking to do a major overhaul to what their garage looks like. Uh, you know, maybe they just want to have a fun project for the weekend. Very often, those types of things come with having to buy supplies or having to buy products to fill something out. So, so I think the leap for advertisers isn't a very far one. Yeah, and there's a there's a quote in the S one that I that I think is worth highlighting here. Uh, so they say the majority of pins saved on our service are from businesses. Ads do not compete with the content pinners want to see. They are the native content. So that is something that for me as the investor makes me really excited because people are going to this site because they want to see ads from businesses. And right now, we're starting to get a sense of what that ad business might look like. I know that they are not super mature in the ad business, but they are certainly further along than some of the other companies that we've seen come public recently, thinking specifically of Snap there. Um, you go to the most recent quarter and their financials, 60% growth in 2018, hitting $750 million in revenue. Almost all of that's coming from the United States. Almost all of that is ads. Yeah, that that is their primary method of monetization right now. They are they are an ad-based platform. So even though their platform does entice many people to take action, buy things, they have they have chosen thus far to only uh, fund their site with ads. And and like you said, seven hundred fifty million dollars in, in total revenue, sixty percent growth uh, last year. Those are pretty exciting numbers. And ninety-five percent of that total is coming from the U.S. So although the majority of users are based outside of the U.S., right now this is a U.S. centric revenue story. Yeah, and that 60% figure I think is something we've seen going back uh, about six or seven quarters now. So, so it's not like we are seeing a deceleration. We've actually seen them go from, I think, anywhere between 57 and 61% over the last six or seven quarters. So they've been able to maintain that growth rate pretty steadily as they've started to monetize their users a little bit more. Something super encouraging for me with this company as a fresh IPO is the fact that they have quite a bit of cash on hand. Yeah, this is a company that before their IPO, so before they get this huge bolus of cash, they have $627 million in their bank account as of the end of the year. Now, compare that to their liabilities, which were just $281 million, and that is a mix of liabilities. Uh, the, the, the other thing that I do think we're with pointing out here from a balance sheet perspective is they do have $1.46 billion in redeemable convertible preferred stock. Now, we don't know what's going to happen to that uh, after the IPO. It is very likely that this company is going to raise a couple billion dollars and their balance sheet could change completely. It wouldn't surprise me to have them uh, just wipe out all of their liabilities and be just a cash-rich uh, company, but that, that, those are the numbers as they stand today. Yeah, and, and as is, they're starting from a pretty strong point. To be expected, a tech IPO, this company is losing money. 
So they did lose $63 million in 2018. Uh, That was down by about half from the year before. But the thing that really excited me was this company was actually profitable in the fourth quarter. Now, it is worth pointing out that this is a seasonal business from a a revenue and use perspective, which makes sense. People are going to be buying stuff from a platform or getting ideas mostly around the holidays. So the fourth quarter is one of their, their bigger quarters. But still, The fact that they were able to post a profit for the first time, that's got to be encouraging. And a big reason for that is the fact that they're enjoying expanding gross margins. You look over the last couple of years, 62% gross margins in 2017, 68% in all of 2018. You go to Q4 where they started to post that profit, 75%. That's super encouraging. Yeah, expanding profit margins, a gross margin, is something that just gets me really excited when I see a business. When, when a company is scaling its revenue and you see that its margins are growing at the same time, that can lead to outsized growth uh, on the bottom line eventually. One thing that I think is worth digging into on the cost side is uh, their cost of revenue. And so this is essentially the cost associated with delivering the core content on the platform. For a company like this, this is going to be their IT infrastructure. And Pinterest takes a pretty similar approach to Snap. So they use a third-party cloud provider to handle things for them rather than own and operate all of their own IT infrastructure. And on this show, we have criticized Snap for doing that because rather than have the fixed cost that leads to leverage, you have a variable cost that moves with usage. Um, I think because Pinterest's ad business is a little bit more mature than Snap's was when it went public, it isn't as much of a problem. But you're going to have a variable cost. Uh, and I think cost of revenue is about 30% of sales. Almost all of that is related to hosting costs. So I think that's something that investors just need to keep in mind with this company. Yeah, definitely. The fact that they have decided to outsource the hosting of their site to, in this case, Amazon Web Services uh, is the company that's that's powering uh, the Pinterest. Uh, that is a decision that, that they, they made. And Perhaps after they get a big thing of money, they they could think about in the future going with their own model where they build their own data centers to to benefit from that leverage. But that you're absolutely right that that is something that uh, is worth pointing out. All right, with financials out of the way, why don't we talk about some of the more soft elements of the business? And I'm thinking specifically here about the moat, Brian. What do you see when you look at it? Yeah, I mean, moat is super important when you're thinking about any any investment. So, uh, to my eyes, this company does have uh, somewhat of a moat. Uh, right now, just their sheer amount of users that they have, they have a huge collection of data, a huge collection of, uh, of pins and information about what their users like, what their users want to see. And there is a social component to this. Uh, you can go on and you can check out your friends' boards. You can see what kind of things that they like. You can have people follow you. So, those things do create some a somewhat of a network effect where the more users you have the more pins you have the more boards you have and that and that does create somewhat of a flywheel that you could argue insulates them from competition yeah I think it's a little bit weaker than we'll see network effects from some of the other platforms you know I think Facebook and Instagram probably have the strongest network effects in the social media space Twitter's is pretty strong as well um, I don't think Pinterest is quite on par with theirs but there are a lot of elements there that, yes, the more people that are on there, the stronger the platform is going to be. 
Yeah, I completely agree with that. And the, the other thing that I think this company benefits from is it does have a, a really strong brand. I mean, the fact that their brand was associated with 90% of their users say that they, the brand is associated with positivity, uh, I think that gives them a very strong uh, brand that should separate them in the long term from, say, say their rivals. And they do, have, uh, they do have a statement in their S1 that says that we are the third most relevant brand in the U.S. And I can see that because I know that in, in my life, my wife just loves Pinterest, probably probably more than almost any other company that I can think of. So I do think there is value in that Pinterest name. Yeah, Nick Seipel and I were talking about Pinterest before we hopped into the studio to tape the show, and he made the joke, you know, most people will waste half an hour on Instagram or Facebook and not really feel so great about it. You know, they'll feel like they just kind of fell down the black hole for a while. If you're on Pinterest for half an hour, chances are you're doing stuff, you're you're finding inspiration, you're working through a project, something like that. Uh, people don't seem to have that same social media dread that they do with some of the other platforms out there with Pinterest. Right, which is a very soft thing to talk about, but I do think that there is value there. So, does this company have a moat? Uh, I, I believe that it does, but there is an argument that it is not quite as strong as, as some other social uh, media companies that we've talked about. All right. Brian, let's talk potential because we looked at that growth rate, that 60%-ish growth rate. And the big question for me is, you know, is this something that they can sustain, possibly even accelerate, especially the way that user growth is going for them? Yeah. So, um, I mean, this is an advertising play, and the good news there for investors is that the advertising market is absolutely enormous. I mean, the total addressable market for digital advertising uh, in 2018 was $272 billion. And that number is expected to continue growing quickly and should reach $423 billion by 2022. So, if you could pretend that Pinterest could grab 1% of 2018's total pie, that would be $2.72 billion in revenue. To give you some perspective, that would be roughly four times the revenue that they pulled in in 2018. So the the pie that they were going after is so massive that even if they could just get 1% of it, there is plenty of room for them to grow. The necessary caveat there is to do that, they are going to be competing with the likes of Google and Facebook and Facebook's property, Instagram, uh, and and those platforms or are notoriously strong performers for people in the digital ad space, right? The reason that there's effectively a duopoly in digital advertising is all the money spent on Google and Facebook's properties tends to give a pretty good ROI for the people that are spending that money. Yeah. And so, what kind of stats do we have to back up that making investment in Pinterest is worthwhile for advertisers? Well, Pinterest on their, on their S1 said that a household that looks at a retail product on Pinterest is 39% more likely to buy it than, than they would otherwise. And those that see uh, products on the site, on average, spend 20, 29% more on items that they see on Pinterest than they, than they, than they don't see. So, there is a, I believe, value to be said for advertisers to say, getting this information in front of our audience on Pinterest does have an ROI for us. Yeah, the, the thing that I think is kind of interesting is a lot of the advertisers that they've focused on early on have been in the retail and consumer packaged goods space. Um, those often are brands with pretty big ad budgets. So, yes. uh, you know, it might be that uh, they're able to help reach people that are tending to do more brand advertising and might be able to do a little bit more performance advertising um, on their platform uh, rather than you know some of the other social media ones out there. 
Yeah, and this and and Pinterest has said that they they do want to eventually expand into uh, uh, other verticals, other sectors of the market to get advertising dollars. So it's important to realize that they are still very early in the monetization uh, stage, and to put some numbers around that. So a key metric for any of these companies that we talk about is average revenue per user. So that's when you take your total revenue and divide it by the number of users that you have. So. Uh, in the fourth quarter, they made about $3.16 in the U.S. from their average user. And the number in international was about $0.09, cents, nine cents for all of their users. So to put some context around those numbers, last quarter, Facebook did $34 in revenue per user uh, in the U.S. and $7.37 worldwide. So when you compare those two, there is tremendous room for expansion on, on Pinterest side. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is going to be coming from the international markets. You know, my pause here with this company is the US is a very mature market for them. Uh, you look and user growth is up single digits year over year. They've been hovering around that 80 million number for quite some time. Um, so, really, the serious growth is going to be coming from increasing ad impressions and increasing ad prices in the United States. Outside of the United States, they have about two thirds of their users. Right now, they're not monetizing them too much. They've been focusing most of those efforts in the US, but that user base is growing 30% year over year. So, there's definitely something there. They're just going to have to harness it. Yeah, I think I think you, you hit the nail on the head there. Uh, we, we've seen this work very well for Facebook, though, in the past, where their their numbers in the states were uh, were growing, but their revenue was growing far faster because they proved to advertisers that their platform was worth spending dollars on. The 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 challenge ahead for Pinterest is going to be to do the same thing to follow in Facebook's footsteps. So that is a risk that investors are taking on. All right, Brian. I know you like to look at customers as well when you're breaking down businesses. What do you see when you look at Pinterest? Sure, I like to think about the relationship between customers and and the business uh, when when I'm when I'm thinking about investing in a stock. And here, it's important to note that customers we're talking about are the people that give the company revenue. So not users. Customers are advertisers. So. Are they expensive to onboard? Well, in platforms like this, the answer is usually uh, yes. There is a significant sales and marketing cost to get a big brand to advertise on your platform, to get them set up. Uh, but once they are on there, um, are they dependable? Will, will, that, will they keep giving you rent, re revenue uh, on a consistent basis? The answer there is yes. Advertising is a continuous expense that they have, so revenue is recurring and it appears to be uh, dependable. And then the other thing I like to think about is, does Pinterest have pricing power? Can they, can they raise their profit margin over time? Uh, from what we've seen, yes, their gross margin is expanding. So there is an argument to be made that this is a company with recurring revenue and with pricing power. So that is something that, I, that very much excites me. Yeah, this isn't recurring revenue in the way that a software as a service company would have recurring revenue. You know, the, the performance needs to be there on the ad side to uh, have those advertisers continue spending money. By a lot of indications, though, the performance seems to be there. Yeah, I, t I totally agree with you. Uh, Brian, what do you think of management and the company culture? I know this is one of the big things you like to hone in on, too. And I think we couldn't have a conversation about uh, an S1 or an upcoming IPO without talking about the CEO and the leadership at a business. 
Yeah, so uh, we like to see that the people that founded the company are still running the show. That is the case with Pinterest. So the two co-founders are uh, Ben Silverman and Evan Sharp. Uh, Ben Silverman is the company's CEO, and Evan Sharp is the company's chief creative officer. So these guys are still very much on the board. Uh, They do hold a significant amount of Class B stock, which gives them super voting power, as we've seen with uh, many other companies. Uh, So we don't know exactly what their ownership uh, percentage is going to be until after they go public and those numbers get released. But I think it's fair to say that they're going to have a sizable amount of their net worth tied up in this business. And then from an employee perspective, uh, I checked them out on Glassdoor, and they get 4.2 stars out of 5, and 90% of employees approve of Ben Silberman. Uh, Those are are pretty good numbers. So I think investors should feel good about the management and corporate culture here. All right, why don't we take a step back and kind of look at the company and the stock? I mean, that's what people are going to be buying here. I look at this business, Brian, and I'm a little torn because there are a lot of things going in the right direction. I think the nice, steady, consistent top line growth is there. I think that profitability is going to be pretty easy to project out for this business, especially the way margins are moving. I would not be shocked if we hit somewhat consistent profitability in 2019, unless anything crazy happens with stock based comp uh, after the IPO. That said, um, I do have some concerns. What do you see concern-wise? What do you see risk-wise when you look at this business? Yeah, there's uh, there's always a couple of things to 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 think about. So my my big concerns are always. Uh, I have a checklist, as you know, that I go through with big concerns. So I always ask, is this a penny stock? Well, in this case, no. Pinterest is huge. Uh, Is there any excess customer concentration? Uh, The good news there is no. There was no customers that were more than 10% of revenue last year, so that's good. Uh, I then ask, are there any industry-wide headwinds that this company has faced? And I'm going to say no. I think this company has tailwinds, where they're taking advantage of the move to digital advertisement. Uh, there, there is one thing that I do want to point out, and that the question that I always ask is, does this business rely on outside forces for success? Um, so is there something that's outside of the company's control that, that controls their destiny? And there is an argument to me that, uh, there, that, that could be an issue here. Uh, they do get a lot of the people that log into Pinterest actually go through the logins through Google and Facebook. And they also get a lot of organic search results through Google. So if those things, uh, if Google or Facebook decided to change their 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 ways, uh, that could put a damp a damper on Facebook's growth numbers. Yeah, not only is Facebook uh, a competitor, they are also in some ways holding the keys for some people to have access to Pinterest. Not necessarily a dynamic uh, that you'd love to see long term. You'd like to see them control uh, all their user logins and kind of be divorced from that. A little bit. Uh, one thing I mentioned this earlier that I think people do need to keep in mind is the cost structure is also something to worry about a little bit because they don't own and operate all of their data uh, centers and they rely on AWS. Uh, they are going to be at the whims of someone who has a lot of clout in the cloud market and they won't control that cost in the way that they would if they owned and operated it. Yeah, that is absolutely something for investors to watch. And for me, the encouraging thing to see is that even with that, there's, this company is still expanding its gross margin rapidly, so it does show that they are leveraging somewhat their, their costs, but I would prefer to see them own their own data sensors. So hopefully that is a move that this company makes with the huge bolus of cash that it's going to get. Um, and another thing that uh, is worth pointing out is that the valuation of this company has actually stalled a little bit. So back in 2015, the company raised money at an $11 billion valuation, 
And then in 2017, they raised it at about 12 billions. And the early reports that we've seen thus far indicate that this company is going to come public slightly over $12 billion. So that's not a lot of market cap expansion for a four-year period, even though this business has been growing nicely. Yeah, I'm not really sure what to make of that, Brian. I got to be honest. You know, you look at the revenue growth that they've enjoyed over the last couple of years, and I don't know if the 2015 valuation was too rich and it stalled because the the business results just had to catch up with the valuation, or if there's something that we're missing here looking at this analysis. Right. So that that is something for for investors to watch. I mean. I prefer to buy uh, stocks that continually go up, and a lot of other venture capitalists do too. They want to see that number continue to grow steadily. So the fact that it has capped out is is something to watch, and that's just something for inv- investors need to be wary of any new IPO when it comes out because. We don't know how the management team is going to handle being a public company. It changes the culture. It changes the way they operate. It changes the way that they can do things. Suddenly, they have a number every 90 days that they have to to hit. So we need to. Uh, I always like to observe companies that are IPOs from the sidelines for a quarter or two before I just dive in because that is a significant challenge that not every company masters. I'm 100% with you on that one, Brian. Um, for all the reasons that you mentioned, and also because there are some metrics, especially related to an ad business, that I want to see with Pinterest that I haven't gotten a chance to see yet. And so, the cost per engagement, the the CPE, uh, or the cost per thousand impressions, uh, and the ad load for this are going to be some of the main drivers of growth in the U.S. market. And we don't have a really firm sense of what those numbers look like for Pinterest yet. Most major ad-based businesses, your Twitters, your Facebooks of the world, will give you year-over-year growth rates or sequential growth rates to show you kind of where those metrics are trending. We haven't gotten a sense of what that looks like yet. And so, for me, I want to get a sense of, okay, what does ad inventory look like? Is it pretty saturated on the platform, or is there room for them to expand that out? And what's going on pricing? Can we expect growth there, too? Yeah, I think that, that that's completely reasonable for you to, to uh, think about. Uh, however, one thing I do want to say is that uh, I will probably be a buyer of this IPO on day one for one reason, and that is I am keenly interested in getting my wife interested in the stock market. I haven't been able to do it at all yet, but I do think that she likes this business enough that if I told her that we owned a teeny tiny little bit in our portfolio and I showed her some metrics, that it might prompt her to get interested, but I'm not going to go hog wild, but I probably will buy a few shares on the day of the IPO. You know, sometimes you just need to find the thing that keeps you interested and gets you a little invested. I know for me, uh, when I am just starting to really get excited about a business, sometimes I will take a small position just so that when I'm checking my brokerage every now and then, I see the shares and I'm I'm kind of tracking them on a day-to-day basis or a weekly basis and get a sense of the direction the business is going in. So I hear you there, Brian. Given all the other caveats that we threw out there about IPOs. Yeah. Uh, so this is one that I'm probably going to break some of my own rules are. But again, it's just going to be at the tiny percent of my portfolio. Before I would make a substantial commitment to this company, I would definitely want to see probably at least two quarters of results to see how they operate before I would do anything like that. Well, if that happens, you'll have the whole family in on investing at this point, right? Absolutely. I've got my kids there. They are shareholders, so it'd be great to have my wife join them. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. And uh, from what I understand, we'll be having you and your kids on the show fairly soon. 
Yeah, we're going to be taking a uh, trip down to D.C. to come visit headquarters for a little bit, and my uh, my whole family will be in the studio at some point uh, in uh, two or three weeks. So we're really looking forward to that. Yeah, so listeners who enjoyed having Matt Cochran's kids sneak into the end of an episode a couple weeks back, get ready. We have more children in the studio coming soon. Brian, thanks for hopping on today's show. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to have you back from vacation. Yeah, happy to be back. Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, you can shoot us an email over at industryfocus at fool.com, or you can tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you want more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes or check out videos from the podcast over on YouTube. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass. For Brian Feroldi, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!